God's word for us for this morning comes from Joshua chapter 5, the first 12 verses. So hear now the word of the Lord. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord Yahweh had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted. And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after, and they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of Yahweh the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he had raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their place in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this word, even though at first glance it seems very odd and we wonder, what on earth does this have to do with us? A lot of talk about circumcision. Lord, I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of Yahweh, the Lord, stands forever. And so, Lord, would you speak to us today? Even through this crazy message, would you speak to us with specificity, with acumen, with tenderness, that all of us would hear your voice, Lord? We all come in a mixed bag. Our world is blowing up around us. For many of us, our world is blowing up inside of us. And we need a God who can put the pieces back together, who can do in us, for us, through us, and around us what none of us can do on our own. And that is who you are. And so draw near, Lord. Remove all distractions. Quiet the enemy in Jesus' name. And speak, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and no others. Come and have your rightful place in our lives, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
I don't know about you, but this is the question that I have been wrestling with for the past week and a half. How are we here again? How do we get to this place? How is Israel under attack again? How is there war in the 1040 window, in this plot of land that by God's grace and in his timing, we are literally studying right now in the book of Joshua? How are we here again? Well, I want to give you a bit of a brief, long history of the conflict that has taken place in this spot, just to give you the bigger picture of what's going on. Abraham, right, was called somewhere around the year 2100 B.C., and the Exodus is somewhere around 1444-ish, and then you have where we are. This is what we've been studying in Joshua, 1400 years before Christ, the conquest, which in case you missed it, is war. It's war. And one of the reasons why we've been spending so much time unpacking the spiritual realm with you is because if you don't understand what's going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm, then Yahweh God is just like every other God and every other religion in that region. It's simply they're coming in to try to be the bigger God and there's going to be warfare and you better watch out and we're going to fight and fight and fight for this land. But if you understand what's going on behind the scenes... And who the creator of all is. And how he is Lord Elyon. He is the highest. There is no one greater. He is God Almighty. And his is the plan. And his is all of creation. Then all of a sudden you begin to understand why he not only has a right to whatever he he, he calls for. But please don't miss it. He's coming back to redeem it all. That's where this story goes, friends. It's why it matters that we're even here right now. Don't miss his timing. You see, in 722 BC, Assyria comes in. And then after Assyria, Babylon. And this is where the first temple is destroyed. And then Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome. And then the second temple is destroyed when Rome destroys it uh, in AD 70. You see all of this playing out. It's empire after empire, nation after nation, war after war. And then you see this rule by the Romans, otherwise known as the Byzantine Empire. And it's during that time that you see the, the Roman Empire usher the the Jews out after AD 70, and in come the Arabs. And you know what they called the Arabs at that time for the first time? Palestinians. You know where that name Palestinian is rooted? Philistine. You know where the Philistines lived? Gaza. Don't miss what's going on, friends. Palestine, Philistine. Right? And so then you see the Arab rule where they build the Dome of the Rock. And then the Christians come in, the Catholics, the Crusades, the Marmelukes, the Egyptians, the Ottoman Empire, the British rule. You just see warfare after warfare, battle after battle in this place. Now, who, who recognizes this date right here, 1517? I'll give you a hint. Luther, thank you. Martin Luther. <laughs> the door, the Vinberg Chapel. Okay, good. We know our history. Okay, 1918. What just ended in 1918? World War I. Thank you. So you have the British who, who get occupancy of the land of Israel, and they decide that they're going to start bringing in some of the Jews because they have favor in the eyes of the British monarch, right? But then you see in 1947, this UN Resolution 181, where it's, hey, we're going to actually make a partition. We're going to divide the land up, and we're going to recognize the state of Israel. Because what just ended in 1947? World War II. And what happened in World War II? 
the Holocaust. And as they freed all of these Jews, a million plus, from these concentration camps, they had no home to go back to. They had no place to go. And so the world comes together and decides, we're going to give them a home to go back to. We're going to give them their land. Okay? So you see the state of Israel is created and immediately war breaks out. And then you see all of these things. I'm not going to read all of them. They're up there for you to see. 1949, 67, 73, 79. You see this going back and forth between warfare and treaty and warfare and treaty. And it just keeps happening. The list goes on and on and on. 2007, Hamas wins the Palestinian elections. So now they become the, the ruling party of the Palestinians. Do you know what Hamas means in Hebrew? Violence. Violence. So you just see this warfare that's going on all over the place, and it just keeps going. It just keeps going. It doesn't seem to stop. There doesn't seem to be any end. It's the same cycle again and again and again, and we are in it now. Here's the cycle. Demand your rights to the land. Fight, kill, justify, repeat. Fight, kill, justify, repeat. Fight, kill, justify, repeat. Friends, how's it working? It's not working at all. It's not working at all. Everyone claims to have rights to the land. And please hear this. From their own religious background and political history, they all have rights to the land. No matter what your theology is, they all were put there and displaced someone else. And just, just as a side note, there's no country on the face of the planet that isn't filled with people who displace someone else. It doesn't make it right. It just makes it reality. It just makes it reality. How are we as Christians to find a better way? Is there a better way? And not just specifically with Israel. How about with our own lives? Because with our own lives, this is not just a picture of what's happening in the 1040 window. It's a picture of what's happening right here inside of us. So regularly where we have these same cycles. We just dig our heels in with that argument that I'm having with my wife, right? And she's wrong, and here are all the reasons why. She thinks I'm wrong, and here are all the reasons why. And neither one of us changes, and guess how it always ends up? The same way. How about with my parents? How about with my friends at school? How about with the bully down the street? If all we do is engage in the same activity and expect a different outcome, do you know what that's called? Insanity. We've used that line here a few times. I don't know about you, but I'm so tired of living like a madman. I'm so tired of the insanity. Is there a better way? Is there a different way? Well, friends, that's where we're going this morning as we continue in our study through the book of Joshua. And I hope you haven't missed God's incredible timing. To have us in the book of Joshua at such a time as this? What is God wanting us as Christians to begin to see and believe maybe differently than we ever have before? If you remember, they're on the edge of the promised land, right? They've just crossed over as we have been watching them do. And God says several things to them. He says, I'm going to be with you. I don't want you to be afraid. Be strong and courageous. But know that it's not just about me being with you. You've got to be together. The only way you make it through is together. Friends, the only way we make it through is with him and with each other. There is no other way. There is no other way. 
And because that's the way, he keeps saying, I want you to realize what's going on behind the scenes. Open your eyes to the spiritual reality of what's always been at play in all of history because our God is spirit. He is spirit. And he has intentions that go well beyond just a created reality, just a physical reality. He has intentions that go well beyond that, and he wants us to begin to see them because if we don't, we're going to miss what he's actually doing. And so he says, everywhere you see me break in to this physical world that you live in, I want you to build an Ebenezer. I want you to build something that is a, a remembrance monument, a stone monument, right, which was their particular Ebenezer. If you can see our Ebenezer is over there by the cross, the one that we built together when Tommy preached a few weeks ago. I want you to know why I put it next to the cross, because the cross is the greatest Ebenezer the Lord has ever given us. It is the place of remembrance. It's why so many of us have them hanging around our, our necks, because we want to remember what God has done and the importance of that, not simply as a historical event, and it was an historical event, but actually what it did in the physical and spiritual realm that God himself would put on skin and that he would defeat sin and death. That song we sang earlier, those giants that we're facing, sin and death, they're none bigger. And Jesus defeated them all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Last week, we had a little bit of a pause in our series because we had Dr. Brian Widbin come and talk to us. Uh, he's going to lead our trip to Israel, God willing, if that continues to uh, be a possibility for us. But uh, he talked about the heart of the kingdom. He didn't use those words, but that's what he was talking about when he said that, hey, the kingdom is not about what you look like on the outside. But it's about what's going on on the inside. And as Jesus breaks in because he knocks on the, the door of your heart and you let him in, the very next thing he's going to want to do after he eats with you and ministers to you is start knocking on the door again. This time to get out so that through you, many others can come to know him. Jesus is the one who is interested in fixing what's going on in here so that we can be useful tools in his hands to fix what's going on out here. Friends, it's the message of the gospel. Don't miss it. Today's theme won't make any sense to you for a little while. Going from Gilgal to Gilgal. Now, what on earth are we talking about there? Keep listening. Remember the one thing we talked about a couple weeks ago. The one thing that God said, I want to point to this. This will be the one thing that everyone will know in Israel and the watching world that I'm going to drive out your enemies from before you. Remember what that one thing is? I'm going to dry up the Jordan River all the way back to the city that's randomly called Adam and all the way down to a sea that's randomly called dead. No, there's nothing random, friends. He's saying, I'm going to dry up death, this water of chaos, all the way back to the beginning and all the way down to the bottom. No better news than that. No better news than that. And it says in our passage for this morning, as soon as the kings of all the surrounding areas heard that that's exactly what Yahweh God did, their hearts melted. Their hearts melted because they knew it was true. They knew that their days were numbered. In fact, we all know it's true, friends. Every one of us knows it's true. Let me, let me explain. Let me, let, let me show this to you, demonstrate. 
Yahweh's human enemies knew. Remember when they first came in, when the spies came in, and you have Rahab, who's the, who's the, the prostitute, right? Whose name means what? Say it. Say it like you mean it. Overcomer. Overcomer. That's a name you want to remember. Rahab, the overcomer, hides the spies. But she says to them, here's why I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Because all of our hearts melted when we heard what Yahweh God was about to do in opening up the Jordan River for you. And what he did to all of your enemies on the other side of the Jordan. We knew our days were numbered. You see the same thing with King Nebuchadnezzar when after the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the first temple and they take prisoners back to Babylon, prisoners like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And all of a sudden you have the most powerful man in the world at that point who builds this huge golden statue to himself and decides everyone should bow down and worship me because look at what I've done. I deserve that worship. And three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no, we will bow to no one but Yahweh. And so he is so mad, Nebuchadnezzar is so mad, he puts extra fuel in the fire. He makes it so hot in this fiery furnace that the guards who are going to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire die when they get too close and throw them in the fire. So needless to say, they're expecting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be, what's the word? Dead dead. Good guess. But these are the words of Nebuchadnezzar. I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And therefore Nebuchadnezzar makes this declaration. There's no other God like the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because no one can save the way that he saves. So anyone who's disrespectful to this Yahweh God that he does not know and does not serve will be put to death. Friends, even God's enemies, his earthly enemies, his fleshly enemies, they know. They know who he is. They know the truth about what he's done. What about his spiritual enemies? Remember we've talked about this before. First Samuel chapter 5 when the Ark of the Covenant is captured and they take it to Philistia. You know what we call that today? Gaza. The Gaza Strip. They take it there and they put it into the temple of Dagon. And Dagon, it, he's got this big statue there. And they go in the next day, and the statue of Dagon is on its face before Yahweh. Huge stone statue. No one's pushing that thing over, except for God. Boop. <laughs> so, they do what you'd, anyone would need to do when your God has been displaced by another. They set it back up. Because, you know, when your God needs your help, he's not really a God, is he? Right? So they set it back up. You remember what happens the next day? They go in to check on him again. And not only is he knocked over, but his head and his hands are cut off. So there'll be no putting back together this God. Remember, all of the idols that we see in the Old Testament, Paul tells us in the New Testament they are called what? Demons. 
demons. We don't like this language. And we're pu- we push back against it because it's uncomfortable, because it's not normal, because we're not used to talking about this stuff. But friends, that's because our enemy is called a deceiver. And the best way he can deceive us into not actually facing him and fighting him, resisting him, is the words that Peter uses in the New Testament. The best way is to convince us that he doesn't exist. And in the church, here's how we do that. Oh, I believe in Satan. I believe he's real. And then we just wander around as if he's not. As if he's not, as Peter says, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. God has always had spiritual enemies And they exist today. And if we don't address them and face them and get equipped in how to deal with them, they will only ever deal with us. When Jesus walks on the earth, he goes and he interacts with these demonic entities, these dark spirits. And each of them, as he interacts with them, knows who he is. When Jesus goes up against the demoniac, the guy who's got an entire legion full of demons attached to him, They say to him, Jesus, son of the most high God. What? (laughs) Jesus, son of Yahweh Elion, the most high God. What do you have to do with us? His enemies know who he is. In another encounter in Luke chapter 4, same thing. The demon says, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus has to quiet the demonic voice because he doesn't want to be found out for who he is just yet because he knows he needs to go to the cross. Because without the cross, we have no hope. Please realize, Yahweh's spiritual enemies know. They know. But friends, everyone and everything knows They know. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because he did not consider equality with God something to be insisted upon, grasped. But he made himself nothing, becoming like a servant, being humbled even to the point of death, even death on a cross. You hear the Ebenezer right there? Just remembering back to what God has done through Jesus. Every knee every tongue, everywhere. In fact, when Jesus was coming in to be crucified, what we call Holy Week, that first Sunday is called what? Palm Sunday, right? We call it Palm Sunday because he's coming in during the triumphal entry and they're waving palms as a sign of of rebellion against Rome. And and all of a sudden, the, the Pharisees come up and they say, we know what your disciples are doing. They're declaring you to be the Messiah. Tell them to shut their mouths. And Jesus says, if they don't speak... The rocks will cry out because all of creation knows. It's not just us. It's not just the spiritual realm. It is everything that was ever made that knows the voice of the maker. We all know, which is why Paul can say in Romans chapter 1, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they, which is us, all of us, are without 
excuse. We all know. The question is, what are we going to do with that information? We will not be able to say on that day, I didn't know. Please don't miss this. This is part of the motivation for why we go out and share the good news of Jesus. It's not just because we want everyone that we love to share in heaven with us. It's because there's only ever one other option. And that other option is called hell. And all of us are without excuse, friends. We choose which one we want in this lifetime. Please don't miss that. We choose. When we say to Jesus, I submit to you, we've made our choice. He went to the cross, I don't have to. He felt all of hell, I don't have to. When I say to Jesus, I don't choose you, I choose my own way, please don't misunderstand what you've just done. You've said, I don't need a substitute for the cross and hell. I volunteer for it myself. Hell is a reality of a life without God in it. And so when we reject God, who is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things, when we reject him, we choose a world that has none of those things in it. That's why it's called hell. That's why we need to be very honest with ourselves, friends, and let this be part of our motivation to reach the lost world around us. In our text for this morning, we get this challenge. Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate. Set apart as holy. Make clean yourselves. We see it over and over and over in Joshua and throughout the scriptures. When they're about to enter into the promised land, he says, consecrate yourselves. Get clean. Get washed up. God's about to do something. When you're going into battle, get clean. Get washed up. God's about to do something. For the priests who have a special role, for the firstborn sons who have been set apart because God saved all the firstborn sons of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt through the Passover. They're all set apart for him. And he says the same thing to the entire nation of Israel and to the church. Consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves apart. God's about to do something. Specifically, he talks about circumcision. Now, I, can, I could feel as I was reading you squirming as we kept talking about circumcision. You're like, how much are we going to talk about circumcision? How many times is he going to say the circumcision word, right, Liam? <laughs> He's not even looking at me, but I'm going to hear about it all afternoon, right? Because um, it's all throughout our passage. What is going on here? Well, please don't miss what's going on. Because Genesis 17 is God's covenant with his people. Where he says this, Abraham, I want you and every male descendant after you to be circumcised. To cut off the foreskin of your man. I'll use that word. Your man, right? Your penis, right? Like, to do this. And you're like, well, why? Why does that even matter? Well, think about the promise that God made to Abraham. I'm going to give you descendants. You're going to be fruitful and multiply. But he's telling him from the beginning, there's something that needs to die first. There's something that needs to be cut off, that's unclean, that's going to get in the way. Will you trust me? Will you remember that I've been faithful to you? Will you remember who I am? 
when you act in faith, even when it hurts, even when you don't fully understand, simply because I've called you to. I want you to hear this, friends, freshly today because that same challenge for us, it, the heart of it doesn't change. God's constantly calling us into places where he's asking us to trust, to act in faith, to remember what he's done before we fully understand and even when it hurts. Some of you are in those places right now. And I want you to see your story in his story. Because one of the cool things about being in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is we already know where this story goes. They had to live a whole lifetime to get there. But we get to fast forward to the end to give us encouragement for our hearts. Because it's the same God. What did we pray before? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever, forever. Will you trust remember and act because if you will you'll enter into a much deeper purpose than what you can know in the flesh again a deeper meaning that you have to get to otherwise it's this weird ritual of doing something that really hurts and you don't quite understand what's going on God, why is this happening? It's happening because he wants his people to bear the mark on the outside of their bodies for what he's doing on the inside of their bodies. He says that that sign of circumcision at the end of the day is not about what happens in the flesh, but about what he's going to do to our hearts. He says, I will circumcise your heart. I'm going to cut off the pride that lives there. Don't miss this, friends. Pride has been the issue from the beginning. And humility is the choice to trust and obey as we remember, even before we understand. Pride says, I need to understand first. Pride says, I, this needs to not hurt so much. Pride says, I need to be in control. I need to protect myself. Pride teaches us all those things. And pride has always been the, the primary weapon of our enemy against us. Humility says, I know who you are. I've seen what you've done. And I'm just asking you to do it again. Do it in my life. Do it in my world. Do it in my family. I will trust and obey. And I will walk after you no matter what. You see, when we act in humility, the writer of Deuteronomy, Moses, tells us that part of the reason why he was calling them to act this way is because he wanted them to remember who they were without Yahweh in their lives. When we start to walk with him, we start to think somehow it's about us. Oh, he chose us because we're a great people. What does God say about Israel? I chose you because you were the smallest, the least, so that my glory can shine through you. It had nothing to do with how good you were. Nothing. He says the same thing to us. Through Paul, remember who you were when you were called. Not many of you were noble. Not many of you were wise. In fact, you were mostly foolish, broken, distraught, hurting. Which is why Christianity is so often called the religion of the weak. Hallelujah. Because when I am weak, he is strong. Amen. Brothers, can I speak to you for just a quick second? Our world wants us to believe that we need to be strong in order to be a man. 
And I want to tell you, friends, there is no greater strength than choosing to lay down your life for those that you love. In your weakness, you are strong. In your own strength, you are not only weak, you are dangerous. I've walked that road, brothers. Learn from my mistakes. We are better than that in Christ. And we are set free to actually love. Let's help one another to that end. Walking with humility so that we change the world around us. Therefore, it says, to the entire nation, circumcise them. Because those who were born in the wilderness were not circumcised. So put this mark on my entire people and get them out of this cycle of pride, fear, and self. Which is where Gilgal comes in. Gilgal literally means circle. In the wilderness, if you mapped out how the Israelites walked, it was like this. For 40 years, they just kept going around in circles. They just kept going around, around and around and around and around. And you remember why? It's because they hardened their hearts. That's another way of, of saying pride. They hardened their hearts. They gave in to fear and self-control. And it led to grumbling and rebellion. And that, friends, is so often our struggle. So here's a key that we can learn from our, our forefathers and mothers, right? Wherever you feel fear and you see grumbling, you can pretty much know you're in rebellion. Whenever you feel fear overcoming you, and you're giving yourself the right to grumble, which, by the way, is already rebellion, you can know you're in rebellion. So if you're wondering, like, I don't know where that's true of me, where are you grumbling? Where are you riddled with anxiety? Where are you so anxious that you won't look at it until you have to, and then you pounce? Or where do you just keep ignoring it and it gets so big you have no choice but to walk away? Where these things are taking place, friends, is evidence that we are stuck in that same circle, the Gilgal. But don't miss the other definition of Gilgal. Because Gilgal in Hebrew sounds like to roll back, which is why they named that city what they did. Because God said to them, as he cut off as he circumcised them, I have rolled back your reproach. What reproach? The reproach of being enslaved. The reproach of being told that you're not worth freedom. The reproach that says, I can and I should be able to treat you however I want. Murdering your babies. Raping your women. Giving you no rights. Taking away your life. The reproach of shame and the voice of the accuser. I've rolled it back as I've put my mark on you freshly and declared to you the promised land is coming. I'm leading you. Remember, trust and obey. The very next thing we see in our passage again is not by mistake. Because while Gilgal is all about celebrating the rolling back of sin and reproach, it was always there to point us to another Ebenezer, wasn't it? To the Passover meal. Where God says, it's actually not about the foreskin. It's about the whole life. Remember, source of life, whole life. 
It's about the whole life, which is why when death draws near, what you're going to need to do is find a perfect spotless lamb and slaughter it. I require the whole life so that in your place, death can have its due, what you've earned, O generation, so that life can begin to multiply. So take that blood and put it over the doorpost so that when death comes by, it will pass over you and your whole family. And then you will know that Yahweh El Yon, he is the mighty God, the high God. There is no one greater. It was always meant to point us back to the Passover. But friends, if all it did was point us back to the Passover, to this freedom in one space and time in history where it was picturing the circumcision of our hearts, the washing clean with the blood of the spotless lamb and of all those who've been stained along the way and sustained along the way by God's miracle manna in the wilderness, which, by the way, did you catch that it ended as soon as they got into the promised land? God says, I'm going to sustain you in those seasons, but just wait for the bounty I have for you when you get to the promised land. You know what that's called in Revelation? The wedding supper of the lamb. I can't wait. I'm going to see you there. We're all going to be around that table. We're going to look at, you're here? You're, you're, you're here? Right? Like, and Jesus is just going to smile, and he's going to say, and you're here. <laughs> right? Right? Because it's the same blood, the same sacrifice, the same lamb that gets us all to the same table. The miracle manna is for now, friends. The bread from heaven is for now because life in this world is only ever called wilderness. Wilderness. We're awaiting the promised land, but we're on our way, which is why even the Passover is just a sign. It's just a signpost pointing us forward to the greater Passover, the greater Gilgal, which is Calvary. The empty tomb, friends, is not just a picture of God pushing back the chaos of death, which is what it was for the Israelites. The empty tomb is when God actually pushed back death and finished the job when death was put in its place underneath the feet of the king as a footstool. The empty tomb, friends, is how we know that God has done what he's promised to do. That death has been cut off. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says what? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where, O oh grave, is your victory? They've been swallowed up by the cross of Jesus Christ, friends. The empty tomb is how we become holy. The cross of Christ and his victory over the grave. Now we are declared in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a... Say it. You are a chosen people, a holy nation. You are made holy, all of you in Christ. Because we've been covered with the blood of the spotless lamb. And in case you missed this, the devil's works, they're destroyed in Jesus. They're destroyed in Jesus, which is why we walk in authority in Jesus' name, over every power and principality that is now under his feet. 
Beloved, I believe because this is true, that God has called us into a season of consecration. We've talked about it differently. We've said it's a season of healing, of getting whole. God has called us into the season of consecration to learn to live as those who have been set apart. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? Freedom. Those are these two passages of Scripture. We have been set apart for freedom. What parts of your life are still in bondage? Where is anxiety still having a foothold in your life? Where does shame still bring you down? Where are you not living in freedom? Because Jesus has given to his church the keys of the kingdom so that we might learn to live differently. The enemy comes to rob, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life to the fullest. That's the promise of John 10.10, which God echoes through Paul in Ephesians when he says, Don't you know, I'm praying that the the boundaries of your heart might expand. That you might know the height and the breadth and the depth and the width that is the love of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he does abundantly more. Not just a little. Abundantly more than all we ask or imagine. According to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Did you miss that passage? You need to write that right here. It's where I've got it. Because that is an amazing promise of God that allows us to begin to live as those who have been set apart. It is for forgiveness as well, friends. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Do you hear the holiness language? He's taking care of our guilt, forgiveness, and our shame, cleansing. To forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is just to do that because he's already won the right on the cross. This is how we know. Now friends, if this is true, then it changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we live. It's why, friends, we have been entering into what we call healing and deliverance ministry, right? Because if we don't help others take their thoughts captive, it's not against flesh and blood that we battle, but against the powers and principalities of darkness that have names like shame, fear, anger, lots of things that we live with and we think we have no choice but to live with. But God says, in Jesus, I have come that you might have life And life to the fullest. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Free to do what? Free to live without those shackles and free to share the most powerful weapons in the universe. And I want to point to two today. The first is forgiveness. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Do you hear the spiritual realm language? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you hear the manna language? Manna in the wilderness. And forgive us our debts or trespasses 
as we have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. Do you hear it? As we have been forgiven, so we are to forgive. And I hear, I hear this pushback all the time, but I just can't forgive because they don't deserve it. Can I just say this to you freshly today? Of course they don't. Forgiveness is not about them deserving anything other than wrath. And you deciding that they're not going to get it today. Because Jesus has said the same thing to you. If you don't forgive, if you hold on to the right to be angry, all you're doing is holding on to the shackles that have kept you down and insisting that they're holding you. It is for freedom, brothers and sisters, that we have been set free. Let us not therefore submit to the yoke of slavery. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. We need to be those who exercise the weapon of forgiveness. But it's deeper than that, friends. Because the weapon of forgiveness is actually step one to the second thing I want to highlight for us this morning. And that is the power of true love. True love, which sounds fluffy. And in our culture, we try to make it that way. But love, true love, is defined as this. 1 John 3.16. Everyone knows John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see it in all the signs of the football games. John 3.16. Put a one in front of it. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. He's telling us right now. Here's the definition. Listen up. This is how we know. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Love, friends, is the most costly emotion, feeling, experience you will ever know. True love is about laying down your life, not just for your friend. Romans 5, 6 to 8 says this. Scarcely will someone lay down their life for a righteous person, for their friend. But this is how we know what the love of God for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still his enemies, he died for us. And it was his choice to die and to actually love us that changed us. If he was waiting for us to be worthy of his love in order to give it, we would never be changed. But he gave his love when we were not worthy of it. And that changed us. Friends, this is the better way. This is the better way. The choice to come under the oppression and the weight of our enemies. To bear with them the loss, the grief, the trials, the struggles. And to say, I'm with you and I love you. And I know you don't love me right now. I know you might not like me right now. But I'm not moving. I'm walking with you. And in so doing, I'm bearing the burden of my enemy. And showing them the love of my Jesus. It's one thing, friends. 
for our hearts to break. Over the hundreds of children who have already lost their lives in this war. And to see a picture like this and be moved. It's quite another for us to live knowing that we are one of those little ones. And if we don't make the difference in our lives, in our community, in our families right here, we will never live like this. It is our responsibility and our privilege as those who have been loved by Jesus like this to go out and change his world through that same costly love. I'm going to give you a little picture, friends, a little sneak peek of where all of this is going. I want you to know that little plot of land that's the same size of the state of New Jersey that we call Israel was never the main point. It was always God using, creating, loving this people so that he could bring the promise he made to Abraham and Adam and Eve into the world. The seed of the woman, the blessing that he said to Abraham, not only will you be blessed, but through you, the entire world will be blessed. That promised son has a name, Jesus. And when we know Jesus, here's what God says to us. My new throne room, my new temple, my new holy land, the place that I want to take up residence is not all the way over there. It's not even in a building like this here in America. Do you know where it is? Right here. We are the temple of the living God. Where we go, he goes. And when he is for us, no one can be against us. Do you understand the reference now? It's not about us doing Taekwondo on our enemies. It's about the love of God pouring out like living water, like a, a well that I can't keep down inside of me, that I have to share with everyone, even my enemies, especially my enemies, because I know who I was before my God's love changed me. Who is it in your life, friends, as we pray for peace in the Middle East, as we pray for peace in Israel and Palestine, who is it? He's already brought some of you to that place. I see it in your faces. You know who that is. That person you need to forgive and to choose to love even as they act as your enemy. Who is it? Will you ask him if you don't have a name? And will you choose to trust and obey? Because you remember that even when it hurts, our God is able. He's faithful. He can circumcise the heart of anyone, even his enemies.
Let's pray. Abba, it is a privilege to be your kid. To be loved by a dad whose love knows no end. Who is faithful in all circumstances. Who sees everything about me and us and is not surprised, Lord, by what you've found. It is a privilege to be loved by you. God, would you help us in this season? to enter more deeply into that love than we ever have before. To see the places where we are still stuck in pride and self-protection and fear and shame and to pursue freedom. That's why you came. I pray, God, that we would not wait until we feel safe or in control you'd help us to step out by faith and that you'd not just meet us there but you would do abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine according to the work and power of the Holy Spirit within us today. I pray God that as we choose to do the work of forgiveness and it hurts, man does it hurt, you know it. You said on the cross to those who were crucifying you and spitting insults at you, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus, we echo that prayer to the enemies in our lives who are hurting us more than they realize. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive us because we don't know what we're doing. Pour out your love, Lord one to another this day, in this place and through this place, through your people, so that, Lord, the peace that we've been praying for, that wholeness that you promise, that peace in the Middle East, peace for Israel and Palestine, would start here, would start in our hearts, would start in our relationships, would spill out, Lord, that your world would begin to be put back together by the only power that is actually able to do that, yours, and you call it love. So would we not shy away from the price that we have to pay to actually love our enemies? Would we not shy away, Lord, from the price that we need to pay to not just give forgiveness, but to seek it when we need it? Have your way. Prince of Peace, come. Come closer than we even know how to ask. And Lord, as your love changes us, would you help us to change the world around us? To live as those who have been set apart for you. Thank you for your love. We honor and adore you this day. In Jesus' name.